Father, we, um, we just dwell on those words a little this morning and uh, it makes such good sense to us to surrender over to you. Lord, your wisdom, your love, your power in our lives just makes all the difference. Lord, we gather together today in the name of Jesus and uh, we invite you to continue to move in our heart by your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us from your word this morning. Lord, as we chat with each other afterwards, we invite you into those conversations. Lord, we invite you to speak to us through one another, to encourage us, uh, to, to stir our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the celebration of life that we've already had this morning with Liam and we thank you for this very life that you give us. Lord, we do surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. What a crew. Well done. That was great, wasn't it? Gosh. And what a good looking crowd. Let me add my welcome. Uh, for those of you who perhaps we haven't met, I'm Andrew, uh, one of the staff here. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Thank you for making this time. I also want to bring a big and personal hello from DJ. Uh, DJ, our senior pastor, was unable to be here this morning. He's been progressively getting sick, although he keeps, uh, he keeps passing the PCR test. Is that right, Lou? Lou's here somewhere. Uh, he keeps passing the PCR, but um, he didn't want to uh, be spreading germs around. And uh, a big thanks to those, uh, particularly Isaac, that have stepped in at short notice and, uh, and helped us through. So uh, it's great to be here together. Um, You've got to listen to me for a little while. Will that be all right? <laughs> nice to have some fans in the crowd. Thank you, Carl. Hey, uh, we're continuing today um, with this uh, big story of the Bible um, through the lens of God's immense love for the world in this So Love series. Long before God sent uh, his only son, God loved the world, didn't he? And so we continue through this, uh, uh, this epic story, this overarching story of Scripture. It's great to see the Bible as a continuous story of God's love to us from creation to Christ and then from Christ to our time and from our time into eternity. Oh, I just glanced somebody that's an old friend. I also wanted to say, my heart is filled with cheer this morning. It's just lovely bumping into a bunch of you here for dedications and different things. I haven't seen for ages. It's like the... It's, the, it's like the body of Christ, isn't it? Coming together, a picture of heaven. Lovely to have some of the, you old new viners that have gone off to other places, some of the church plants and done different things, got involved in different Christian communities. Lovely to have you back here. Thanks, um, Zach and Hannah, for making it possible. That's great. But uh, you're lovely to have uh, lots of faces here in the room this morning from times gone by. It puts a cheer in my heart. Anyway, I, got, I lost my track. So from... Creation to Christ, Christ to us, and from us right through to heaven, we will experience that, that oneness together. Today, we're sort of transitioning from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, we're, we're sweeping through the Old Testament and picking up a few ideas around create, creating order, the importance of rules and regulations. Do you like a good rule and regulation, Emily? You like a good rule and regulation, yeah. Okay, we know experientially it's important to have a home with order. All those in favour of that? It's important to have a home with order. And I think our modern understanding, when we've thought about the importance of the way we bring our children up, we understand that if children grow up in a chaotic environment, it's actually a form of neglect or abuse. And it does have huge 
implications for a child. For example, for a child growing up where their parents neglect them or a a, a child growing up in a place that's really crowded because parents are hoarders or, or, or kids growing up in environments that are incredibly unpredictable, these things sow incredible disadvantage into the development of children. We know that from experience, don't we? That uh, living in a chaotic environment uh, is neglectful and abusive. Children thrive in a steady and secure environment. It allows them to be, well, it allows them to be children, doesn't it? It allows them to grow, to explore, to be curious, to find their boundaries and their limitations, to develop a settled identity, a safe settled identity and when we turn to our Bibles I think this is illustrated quite well for us with that Jewish word which is kind of migrated into English in our English speaking word we quite often still hear the word shalom everybody say shalom it's a nice word isn't it shalom what does shalom mean anybody help me the obvious answer is peace, isn't it? Peace. That's our go-to answer. The word shalom means peace. But when you dig into the depth and the breadth and the beauty of this word shalom, what you will discover is that the Jewish concept of peace is not just an absence of conflict. It's not just the war coming to an end. It's not just an absence of conflict, but it's actually the presence of order. The absence of conflict, yes, but it's also the presence of order. Things being in their right place, the right order, right relationships, so that everyone can get on and can prosper. We know that anarchy, chaos and disorder is not good for our children. And we also know that chaos, anarchy and disorder is not good for our society. But shalom is, isn't it? Peace and order. So today as we move forward in our So Loved series, let's wrestle with rules and structures and regulation. I titled this, God So Loved Us That He Helps Us Create Order. Sound alright? The last couple of weeks we've drawn um, a, a fair bit of our understanding uh, through the person of Abraham. DJ and Isaac have preached the last couple of sermons. If you haven't caught up with those, I encourage you to go back online and do that. They were great. And the Bible gives Abraham incredible accolades. He gets known as both the father of faith. That'd be all right, wouldn't it, if you got called, hey, John, father of faith. He also gets known as the friend of God. Vanessa, friend of God. That's good, isn't it? Abraham. The Bible has great accolades about him. And we perched a few of our thoughts in and around this incredible promise to Abraham. I will bless you. I will bless you, dot, 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 about his family and all the things God was going to bless him with. And through you, all the world will be blessed. And so we could see that God was up to something through the person of Abraham. He was laying some foundations. Maybe another way to say, I will bless you and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed, would be to say that through you, the world will find shalom, peace, and right order and right relationships. The only reason we know so much about Abraham is that God called another man. He called him out saying, take off your shoes. You are standing on holy ground. That man was Moses. Take off your sandals, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. This meeting with God changed Moses' life forever. It changed him from a runaway fugitive and a goat farmer 
DJ was a goat farmer. I like that part of his story. I want to unpack that a little bit more when I get the chance, when I get to know him better. Um, Moses, a runaway fugitive and a goat farmer, it changed him to be one of the most influential leaders of all human history. He, was, he had the calling from God to be a prophet and he was sent back from that wilderness goat farming to his people with a calling. Uh, he was appointed, he was anointed by God to fill this role of a prophet and through Moses we get the first five books of the Bible these tell the story of God's earliest interactions with people and begin by documenting rules and procedures for God's people to follow and then this continues through many other leaders and authors and so this is a whistle-stop tour as our series heads towards Jesus uh, and Jesus of course is the embodiment of God in a mortal body where God's love literally is fleshed out for us so strap in today we consider how God's love is expressed through leaders who are called appointed and anointed into various roles and these roles in the Old Testament are called prophets priests and kings and their roles was to create this order or this shalom of these, Moses is arguably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He laid down pages and pages and pages of instructions and systems for God's people. But can we actually see God's love in these rules, in this supposed orderliness? How do you go with the rules? You like rules? How do you go when you get a new game? Are you the one that wants to get the rules out and read them all or are you kind of the one a bit like me that says just let's start playing it and we'll work it out? Do you like a good procedure document? Or the all-important instru all instruction booklet? You've been to Ikea, you've got the piece of furniture, you've got the instruction booklet, Ah, let's just give it a go. Some people naturally like the rules and the clarity that the rules bring but others feel boxed in by them. Those who feel a bit boxed in by rules? Thanks, Carl. <laughs> I join you. I tend to be a little bit of a rule breaker. Was that a surprise? But it is a bit strange, really, because you ask my mum. She will tell you that I was an extremely, extremely obedient child. But I've got a working theory that perhaps I used all my obedience up before my teenage years. Anyway, if not a rule breaker, I'm definitely a rule questioner. Have we got any rule questioners here? And I, then I question the rule and then I reserve the right to break it. If you're like me, you find yourself asking all the time, what's the purpose or reason for that rule? What are we trying to achieve here? And you find yourself defaulting to this argument. I just need to know the spirit of the law. I need to know the spirit of the law. Rules, many of us tend to not like them. We want to be free, instinctively. Don't tell me what to do. But to illustrate this a little bit, let's think of an example. I think it's universally agreed, and COVID, I reckon, brought this out to us really pretty clearly, that, that we're too busy. Society's too busy. Anybody want to argue? Anyone want to agree? Yeah, I think we universally agree. We're too busy. And we know it's not good for us. We know it's not good for us. I mean, we talk about mental health all the time. Our busyness adds to our stress. It adds to our sadnesses. It builds anxiety. And it's all exacerbated by our over-busyness. I think this is universally known. It's well known. 
But it's not necessarily easy to slow down. Have you discovered that? It's not easy to slow down, to switch off, to take the rest that our bodies, our minds and our spirit are yearning for. So let's just think back to Moses. Moses wrote lots and lots of rules. And one of those rules was all about the Sabbath, the seventh day. It's enshrined in the pages of those early books in the Bible. It's a day of stopping, a down day. Now, in some ways, it's much easier to stop, isn't it, if the whole of society stops together. And I grew up in a world like this. Did, anyone, can, did anybody reflect on a world that, you know, it, it was a lot easier to get yourself organised and to stop because you knew the shops were not opening again until Monday. So you needed to have the stuff you needed by lunchtime on Saturday because the shops were shutting. And it was much easier to not be busy because, well, there wasn't anything going on. And so society kind of worked with you. Imagine a politician who says, the internet's going off at dusk on Friday, won't be back on again until dusk on Saturday, and there's nothing happening on Saturday. They would get unelected pretty quickly, wouldn't they? We, we know that these sort of rules could be helpful for us. They can be life-giving, but often we have this instinct to dislike them, being boxed in, being, and we kick against them. Let's take it a little further. So we're thinking there about the rules. Let's think about just being commanded to do something. If you're anything like me, when you're ordered abruptly to do something, your instinct might you say, why? You're learning a lot about it. No, you're not learning anything you didn't know about me today. And if the response is to your question, why? Because I told you to. Well, that's not very satisfying, isn't it? And my reaction is, well, who the heck are you to tell me what to do? We have this stuff in us. I've often wondered what it would be like if, if as a pastor I just went, Yoram, open that curtain. <laughs> what would happen if I actually just started bossing people around church? Now, you might be saying, well, hang on, AJ, isn't that what you do anyway? Uh, well, apparently I, apparently I can be a bit bossy, but normally after years of refining, I wouldn't say, hey... Yoram, open the curtain. I'd say something like this. Hey, Yoram, would you mind just opening that curtain a little bit, uh, just a little, little bit more light in so that the pot plants don't die? And can you see what I did there? It's sort of a disguised command, isn't it? Hey, I, I cleverly disguised it like a request or a suggestion. And I included the rationale for the curtain being opening, which was just helping Yoram to, you know, Succumb to my every wish. It was great. But imagine if I, imagine if I just walked around. Yoram, open the curtain. Dan, stack those chairs. Anna, go and vacuum up that mess. If I just barked out orders, I'm pretty sure, uh, even though you guys, I think, respect me, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, our relationship would take a hit. But in many circumstances, like, commands, direct commands, can be very life-giving and an act of love. For example, if there's a fire in the building, you'd probably appreciate clarity from me. Yoram, can you go get the kids out of their kids' rooms? Emily, can you get everybody over to the emergency assembly area? Ben, can you get that hose and start spraying those flames? Direct commands in that situation would actually be an expression of love and be really, really helpful. Or with a kid, take that out of your mouth. 
that might actually save their life. So how do you go with commands? We know that they're important and life-giving, but we can conspire against them with these unhelpful, proud and internal reactions. Many years ago, a friend of mine actually joined the Defence Reserves. Um, and it was in response to his thoughts about Jesus saying, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. And he, he felt this nudge from God the Father saying, you're not very good at obeying orders, are you? And he owned that, and he, and he had this sense that God called him to jump into the defence reserves for a while. And so during the week, he was the boss telling everybody else what to do. And on the weekends, he got to be bossed around uh, in, in the reserves. And he reflected on that time and what he learned. And he, and he said it was super helpful for him because God kind of teaches us that if we want to be a person under, uh, that has authority, that we actually need to be good at handling authority well ourselves. If you love me, you will obey me, Jesus said. So this obedience stuff is important. So rules and commands. What about a third one? How do you go with a performance review at work? Next Tuesday, come into my office, we're going to have a performance review. Particularly difficult if you know you haven't really been performing too well. Back when I was uh, younger, in the early days of New Vine, uh, I, I owned a, a small furniture factory with a friend of mine. And uh, initially it sort of started off as a business for the two of us, but then we started employing people. And I discovered a whole bunch of things about employing people. I found that many of our young workers were not particularly good at listening to my very clear, very good and very wise instructions. <clears throat> and I need to do a performance review. And sometimes my performance review, in my performance review, I'd go the full Gordon Ramsay on them. Well, not quite with the language, but my language was better, but I'd end up smashing something. It was, oh, it was, it was one of the funnest parts of a, a given week. I'd be standing there with this young cabinet maker in front of me, and I'd say something like, look, this is not how we make them. Look, it's all crooked. You clearly haven't used the perfectly good jig I made for you. We can't send that out to a customer. We can't take any pride in that. You've wasted your time. I've been paying you while you've been wasting your time. And now we're going to throw this thing in the garbage. And that, throw it in the garbage as an object illustration. It was great. Have another go and use the jig this time. How do you go with a performance review? A performance review is up in our grill, isn't it? It's personal and uncomfortable. And, and actually, to respond well, we need humility. But as confronting as it is, deep down, we know that it's life-giving. Afterwards, we're often so thankful for our brother or our sister having the courage and the honesty to correct us or point out stuff to us and do a performing performance review. In some ways, in our modern world, we probably call that coaching. Coaching's quite a, quite a nice phrase, isn't it? Um, and coaching works really well when there's good relationship. And so this is, when we look at the Old Testament structure, this was God's intent, a rule book with direct commands uh, that, that 
allowed authorised leaders to, to sort of coach and, and sort of pull people into the place that he wanted. It was an expression of love. This shalom, this order or peace, was delivered through leaders called and appointed and anointed into three important roles. The prophets, the priests and the kings. These were the leaders that God gave to write the instruction manuals, if we can use that language, to issue orders in the argy-bargy of life and to bring those quality control reviews. And these guys were intended to lay down patterns to help God's people stay in that sweet spot, that place of shalom, ordered and peaceful. Now let's just quickly look at um, them one by one. The Prophets like Moses, they were the ones that laid down the instructions. They brought course corrections. They were, the, they were at times the one that would bring the living word from God for now. For example, you know, the Ten Commandments are a brilliant example of principles for living that have, that have stayed with our societies for thousands of years. But there are also many other minor rules. Uh, many of you will have read them and puzzled about them. Maybe um, something a little less obvious. One of the rules I really like in the um, Old Testament is the one where the farmers were not allowed to harvest their crops near the fences. They had to come back from the fences and just let the, just let the, cro let the crop either wither on the vine. But the purpose of that was to allow poor people to go into those fields and pick and harvest. And so it was actually sort of like an Old Testament social security and when you get in behind the rule you go oh I can see love in that we used to play this game at our place we called it the Kent Hodge game Kent Hodge Kent and Ruth are some of our local partners and Kent wrote this book around the laws and we play this Kent Hodge game where how is love expressed in that rule it's a fun game to play get yourself down into numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see if you can play the game too it's fun so that's the prophet the prophet gives uh, instructions and corrections. Secondly, the priest. The priests were the in-betweeners. They were there to keep between God and the people, to keep bringing the people back to God, connecting people to God. They were responsible for leading the worship and the devotion, keeping God first and keeping the people true to their values and identity. Um, they, they set up lifestyle patterns, rhythms for the weeks, for the months, for the years. And a good example of that, just, just to highlight that, would, would I, I thought was the, the um, first fruits offerings. So it was the priest's job to encourage and draw the people to, when, when their harvest first fruited, that they actually took some of that harvest. The very first thing that they did was that they harvested a little bit of it and took it to the temple and took it back to the priest and dedicated it to God as an offering. And so this rhythm, this pattern, was all about helping people to keep the main thing the main thing, to remind themselves that it was because of God's provision to them that they were getting a harvest uh, and, and that rhythm kept plugging people back into God. And third and finally, the king. <clears throat> Probably the most famous king of all would be David. Uh, the kings were given the, the, the important role of civic rule. They were called by God to be those ones that brought organisation. They built a defence force to protect the society. And they were called to govern the country with justice and particularly to look after the poor. One of the things I absolutely love in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that every time a new king is put on the throne, the king is to write out a copy of the law themselves by hand. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So they had to write out at least the book of Deuteronomy, probably in the context of it, 
um, they had to write many, many pages and write it out by hand. And what that's all about is God saying to the king, here's the covenant, here's the agreement, here's what we're trying to achieve in the way that you manage the rulership of the country, follow these covenant rules. And so the king was intended to get the heart, for God's heart for his people. For example, the kings then went on to put taxes in place, build things, infrastructure, making sure there were proper courts so that people could seek justice. And uh, so God is playing the long game here from the time of Moses through to the time of Jesus is nearly 1500 years and he and he calls anoints and appoints these prophets priests and kings it all sounds pretty good but the Bible records many 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 failures doesn't it because of human frailty the prophets the priests and kings often undid the good that they were intended to bring and so we learn as we read that biblical account, that people, when they're given power, often succumb to the self-importance and selfishness that that authority can magnify in them. If you or I go bad, there's not too much harm done. Is that right, Lise? There's not too much harm done if you or I go bad. But when a king or a priest or a prophet goes bad, they can take whole nations or even the whole world into darkness and suffering. And I think that's probably our reflection right now, isn't it, in the modern world that we have some really evil leaders that are plunging millions, billions of people into darkness and onto the edge of survival. <clears throat> so God plays the long game. He invests a lot in these rules, often pointing towards a time when he would actually step in and do something better. And maybe a way to think about these rules and commands and performance reviews, I've got a picture for you. When I was thinking about this during the week, I thought maybe it's a bit like the gutter guards. You know the, you know the, you know the gutter guards in 10-pin bowling? You know, I'm not very good at 10-pin bowling. We come up there. Don't you wish you could have the gutter guards up like the five-year-olds? Eh? Well, I think if we, if we think about the rules and the regulations being a little bit like the gutter guards and seeing that God raises the gutter guards to bounce us back into play. Now, the way I kind of imagined it is this. I come up, all good intent. There's no gutter guards up at the moment, but then God sees the ball going and he goes, whoop, bing, and bounces it back in, bing, bing, gets it heading down the track. Often we are not on target and these rules, uh, these regulations, the aim of them was to bounce them back into the place that they were supposed to be going. As an act of love, God pulls the lever up, bounces us back into play instead of uselessly rattling down that gutter. But maybe an even better illustration for us to think about is right there in our own home. And we've been thinking a little bit about homes this morning through our dedication service because it, I think it's a better illustration because that's a mechanical one, isn't it? But in our homes, it really brings out the relational aspect. It brings out that agreement with Abraham. Abraham's agreement with God was personal and relational. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. In our homes, we know that loving parents make rules. <clears throat> they make rules that serve the household well and build character into their kids. Yes, you can have dessert, but you've got to finish your broccoli first. Loving parents make rules. One of our favourites. Coles don't say things like that. What's your surname? Cole. Well, you don't say things like that. Loving parents make rules. That's a bit like the prophets. 
Loving parents also set weekly rhythms. They set weekly rhythms not because they're tyrants, but they want to provide that shalom, that peaceful space where their kids and their households can thrive. They establish rosters for chores. You'd be a good roster maker, wouldn't you, Penny? They, uh, they decide there's a few nights where you can stay up a little bit later because you don't have to be up in the morning. And they set patterns like, oh, we only do one sport in the winter because otherwise we get too busy. Loving parents make rules. Loving parents create weekly rhythms. But I think loving parents also do performance reviews. I think AKA these things are sometimes known as time out. Loving parents send their kids into time out and then after the allotted time they do a performance review and then they reset and get going again. And so we can see how these roles of prophet, priest and king, they are imitated by us in the small things. These prophet, priests and kings we're called, appointed and anointed to bring structures and order. So we know we have a need for these things. I think that we can see that God expresses love by giving us patterns to live by and coaching us along. These Old Testament rules and patterns teach us deeply about God's character and his rightness, but they also teach us two things. They teach us that our frailties often let us down. We personally resist the rules. We personally resist the patterns. And often this is coming out of our own pride and coming out of our own selfishness but then that gets magnified uh, in our leaders and history teaches us that that same pride and that same selfishness actually corrupts those that have been given authority and so along the way God has been saying one day one day I will send the greatest prophet one that was promised in Deuteronomy 18 one that's greater than Moses one day one day I will send a king of all kings greater king than David one day I'll send a priest to end all priests, that final priest who connects us to God from the ancient order of Melchizedek. And perhaps this is illustrated most beautifully um, in one of the books in the Old Testament, um, the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet, and to illustrate this, um, how the nation had fallen away from God, God asks Hosea, to marry a promiscuous, adulterous and, pros and, and prostituting woman. The story begins in chapter 2. I'll just uh, read a couple of verses for you. When the Lord began speaking through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry an unfaithful woman and have unfaithful children because the children... Sorry, because the people in this country have been completely unfaithful to the Lord. And so Hosea married Goma, daughter of Diblam, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Hosea's son. Um, Goma goes on to have three children, and then she goes back to her um, adulterous ways. And so this whole, this whole story there is to illustrate God's love and the relational aspect of, of, of how God wants to operate with us. He, um, Hosea is commanded to go and woo her back, to pay off her debts and to forgive her. And it shows that this relational connection and covenant commitment that God actually has with us. God has every right at this point in history to divorce Israel, if we can use that language. Israel's heart had turned away from him. They'd gone into idolatry and weren't, weren't following him. And so he hated their hypocrisy and he hated the evil that was going on. But, but God chooses not to divorce Israel. Hosea has every right to divorce Gomer 
But the whole message here is that God's covenant is more powerful than Israel's sin. The broken relationship is restored. As you read the book, uh, Hosea does woo her back, pays off her debts and forgives. And then in chapter 11, there's this beautiful poem. I'll give you a little sample of it, where God takes that physical image of, of what Hosea has done with Gomer and speaks about it from his own point of view towards the people who had likewise been adulterous. My people have made up their minds to turn away from me. The prophets call them to turn to me, but none of them honours me at all. Israel, how can I give up on you? How can I give you away, Israel? I don't want to make you like Adma or treat you like Zeboam. My heart beats for you and my love for you stirs up my pity. I won't punish you in my anger. I won't destroy Israel again. I am God and not a human. I am the Holy One and I am among you. I will not come against you in anger. And so here we hear the heart behind these rules and these regulations. God was setting a pattern for them that was meant to bring shalom. But when push come to shove, he's overwhelmed with love for us. And, and, that, um, <clears throat> and so establishing the prophets and the priests and the kings was an expression of God's love. But in their broken humanity, they became part of the problem. But they were paving the way for Jesus, a greater leader, a, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, a greater priest able to connect us to God through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We would need a king, but a, a greater king than any earthly king, the line of the tribe of Judah, a greater king than David, a heavenly king bringing a heavenly presence here in earth and living within us in real time. And we'd need that promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18 who could bring corrections and empower our lives. And that was found in Jesus. Mike Wells is a great, uh, is a great teacher, the founder of Abiding Life Ministries, and his teaching over the years has been a solid help to Newvine uh, and through his good mate Ray Andrews that many of you will know. And Mike Wells, in his teaching, picks up this image of, of Jesus. He picks up the image of the vine. In John 15, it, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And in fact, the New Testament picks up this idea of Jesus being the vine and it takes the metaphor further and it actually says that you and I are actually like discarded branches from another sickly vine and the vine dresser, the owner of the vineyard, God the Father, lovingly picks up those branches and grafts them in to Jesus, the, the living vine. And, and the, the, the sap of Jesus or the blood, the life of Jesus begins to flow through our veins. His life in us and his fruit begins to grow in us. Mike Wells explains this beautiful picture this way. He says, under a microscope, when the branch is first attached, it sends out these little filaments, weak little filaments. It's almost like they're calling to the vine saying, help, help. And then the vine reaches back with a power a thousand times stronger and begins to bind that new branch into the vine. The vine dresser secures it. The branch reaches out weakly and the vine reaches back with a power a thousand times stronger. So as we finish up today, I hope there's been some useful thoughts there for you. Would you accept the invitation that God makes to you to be part of this Jesus story? Would you accept the invitation to be bound in, grafted into Jesus? He invites 
you to join him. And these Old Testament roles of prophet, priest and king are all united in that one person of Jesus. And Jesus says to us, if you love me, you will obey me. What sort of obedience is he talking about? Is he talking about all of these Old Testament rules? I don't think so. Jesus goes big time. Listen to some of the things that Jesus says. The obedience he's looking for is not like those in the Old Testament rules. It's a goodness and obedience that's found in us. Obedience to Jesus. He says things like, worship God in spirit and truth. Lay down your lives for one another. Give to those in need. Treat others as more important. And all the way along, he promises to bring his life-changing resources within us. I will quench your thirst and you will never thirst again. His life, his sappiness, the past does not have to define us. We can change and Jesus promises. Hey, maybe say after me, maybe I don't have to do what I've always done. That wasn't very convincing. Let's try it again. I've just woken you up, haven't I? Maybe I don't have to do what I've always done. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have to do what you've always done. Jesus invites you into his life. I wonder if we'll accept that again afresh today. You do, you do not have to do what you've always done. It's your choice. You can accept this invitation or not. You might be asking, well, how would I do that? How would I involve Jesus in my life? Well, for me, it started with a simple prayer, a really simple prayer. The prayer went something like this. Jesus, I'd like to live my life your way. I know I've done things my way, and I know I've done wrong things. I'm sorry, Jesus, I would like to live my life your way. You are welcome in my life. Amen. Just a really simple prayer. And then I went on from that to accept an invitation from a friend into a Bible study, and that helped. That really helped. Started to open my eyes to things. It's a really good thing for you to be inviting others to things that are helpful for them. Um, I then went on and was invited to become active in my church, in, in a church. And that was a weird thing, stepping into a church for the time, first time. But that really helped. That was a game changer. So can I encourage you to be, you know, really ask God, are there people I should be inviting into things? I'd have to do a plug here for um, Jesus the Game Changer. Uh, thanks to Dave and Cass, we're running that on a Monday night here. And I, and I, and I saw Deb. I know Deb's moved out to West Lakes. Go girl, and you're involved in running Alpha out there, similar type of a program that is all about trying to help people uh, connect with the ideas of Jesus and take those first steps. It'd be great to invite people into those things. Um, so, um, yeah, please think about that. Uh, in finishing up here today, I uh, hope that you're seeing that this broad sweep uh, from the Old Testament where God set up this pattern of prophets, priests and kings. We can see that these guys brought order, instruction and patterns and performance reviews so that individuals could experience shalom and blessing. The experiment didn't work too well in the Old Testament, had many failings, but the prophets, priests and kings have got equivalents here in this church. And I think we all benefit from having godly people around us that help us to make right wise choices and help us to select the right rhythms for our life to have people who are coaches if you like and will courageously help to bounce us back into the center and and, and stay on track i encourage you uh, to accept the invitation today that god gives you to continue to be a part of his vine god loves us and that's why he helped to bring order let's ask him i want to invite the musos to come back and i invite you to stand with me i just simply like to pray a simple prayer just invite him
to be a part of our lives again today. If any of that's resonated for you and you'd like to um, continue to, to, to discuss ideas that have been there for you, uh, I'm very welcome for you to come and grab me after, after the service and we'll see how we go. Father, we, uh, we stand before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, again, we would like to align ourselves with you. We thank you for this pattern that was laid down in the, in, in the Old Testament that we've, we've snuck a look at today. But Lord, the thing, and, and, and many of those rules are life-giving, but Lord, the thing that is most life-giving is realising that all of that was to help us understand the place for Jesus in our heart. Lord, we, uh, we welcome the idea of joining your vine and, and your life flowing through us. Lord, we invite you to flow your life through us again today. Lord, we apologise for those uh, shortcomings that we keep, we keep stepping and tripping into. Thank you for your forgiveness extended to us this day. We uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would be free in our lives to, to, to grow the fruit that you want to grow on us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.